And that was, as the scripture would call it, magnifical. That was wonderful. As long as you don't like your every movement being tracked and them having all of, all of your information, including your social security and all of that stuff, not really. But you just order online, you set up a time that you want to pick it up, they text you and tell you that it's ready, and then you, you get on the little app, you say that I'm leaving my house, it tracks where you are, knows how long it'll take you to get there, you pull in on the side of Walmart, you've never parked on this side of Walmart before. <laughs> the, well... I'll leave that rabbit alone too, but you, you park on the side of Walmart and there's spots there. You pull out your phone when you parked, you say, I'm here on the app, and then you tell them what parking spot you're in. I did that, I was like, I wonder what's next, and I look behind me and there's a little door opening in the back and this lady comes wheeling out all my groceries. It's like, this is, this is magnificent. this is wonderful. <laughs> I've used the two-day delivery on Walmart before, I tried that out. I had toilet paper delivered to my house by FedEx, that was wonderful. Worked out pretty good. But I like convenience. We live in a world now that is, is focused on convenience. I mean, we have, uh, it, it's, it's not that long ago where 24 hour news cycles were not anything that you knew about. You had to wait till the 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock news to see what happened. Now you can see what happens. You could check right now, please don't, but you could check right now and see what was going on in our world. As we look at the internet, I'm sure some of you remember that dial tone that there used to be. <clears throat> remember when you would try and get on the internet and someone was using the phone? Have to tell them to get off the phone. Or you'd have to yell that I'm on the phone, get off the internet. And it would take forever, forever. I mean like a good 30 seconds for a page to load. That's forever. Now I'm mad when five seconds goes by and I'm like, what in the world is going in? on? The world must be crumbling, the internet's down. No, it's five seconds. There's stuff we don't even think about, the way that we travel nowadays, the journeys that we take that a that, uh, hundred years ago would have been a big trip. That we just, you know, 15 miles, 20 miles, 30 miles is nothing, never mind a longer trip that would have taken months even. <clears throat> Food out of season. I expect to go to the store and find the same things in the produce year-round. That wasn't the case not that long ago. Conveniences that we just don't even understand or we just take for granted now. And I look out for things that are convenient because I like efficiency. And I, I, I truly believe that when the mark of the beast comes out, I'm going to be tempted to take it because it's going to be very convenient for some things. But we'll leave that alone. <laughs> A phrase that you may have heard that is often ascribed to the Greek Plato is necessity is the mother of all invention. That's been said and that was true uh, for many years as man progressed because of need. While this may have been true up to a point in a recent article uh, in the New York Times last year, uh, journalist Tim Wu, he called convenience perhaps the most powerful force shaping our individual lives and our economies of how much in our life is centered around convenience. How much that we invent now, how much that we do now is centered around convenience. And convenience is defined as anything that saves or simplifies work. I'm all for that. Anything that saves or simplifies work, it adds to one's ease or comfort. Easy is better, easiest is best. 
Convenience has the ability to make other options unthinkable, things that we do now that we don't even uh, uh, comprehend, we don't even think about it anymore. It, it, it makes that convenience just part of everyday life. In fact, convenience can trump just about every other argument that we have if we say, well, this is more convenient, this is easier. Convenience and the idea of convenience came around with the concept that we would somehow with convenience eliminate the drudgery of common everyday tasks. You see, this was the idea that pushed convenience ahead. And we would have things that would make it so much easier to do the stuff that we really don't like to do. And that would free us up for more uh, higher uh, uh, exploits such as learning and leisure and pursuing things that really matter to us. That's really worked out, right? Convenience just allowed us to do more with our time and to fill our time with more things. We don't get to sit around and just have leisure time and do what we really want, right? No, because our boss knows that he can email us whenever he wants. So we have so that, that idea of convenience is no longer really working for most of us. Most of us don't have the time to do that we enjoy, the stuff that we enjoy all the time. And it's but convenience is this force, this unseen unspoken force many times that is pushing us that is driving us toward things in reading the book of kings it soon becomes apparent how much israel and judah has turned away from god but israel specifically this nation israel was once called out as god's people and they had kings that were each successively more and more evil there were kings that worshipped idols in horrific ways, that sacrificed children, that led lives of debauchery and led God's people and encouraged them to do the same. Yet, when you read through the accounts of all of these evil kings and all of the things that they did, there is this one thought, this one idea that continually comes up. The sin of many of the kings and of Israel is very often traced back if you read in the book of Kings to this one thing that is traced back to the sins of Jeroboam. At least seven kings of Israel, Jehoram, Jehu, Jehoahaz, a lot of J's, they like the J's, they must have been related to the burner clan, Jehoash, Jeroboam, and then Zechariah came along, and then Menahem, and, and, and we have this list of seven kings, and every single one of them have this indictment laid at their door that they did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam. Some of them did good things, like Jehu. He was the guy that, that got rid of Jezebel and Ahab. But still, in, at the end of his life, they said that he did not still, even with the good that he did, he did not turn from the sin of Jeroboam. And in fact, this was the eventual charge laid at the feet of Israel. This was the indictment that was laid at their feet as they fell into captivity to the Assyrians. And we find in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 20, it says, And the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel and afflicted them and delivered them into the hand of spoilers until he had cast them out of his sight. For he had rent Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nabat king. And Jeroboam drave Israel from following the Lord and made them sin, a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They departed not from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight. As he had said by all his servants, the prophets, so was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. The very starting point, according to this record, for all of Israel's problems and the consequences which were captivity is the sin of Jeroboam, the first king of Israel. 
What was this grave sin? What was this horrible thing that despite all the horrific things that happened that all of these kings did, yet it seems like they did nothing as horrible and and as terrible as Jeroboam. In fact, it's listed as the reason that they were captured by the Assyrians. What could this possibly be? What could it be that was so drastic that would lead to this? The background of the story goes all the way back to Solomon, who was the grandfather of Jeroboam. In fact, Solomon was the king who eventually built the first temple for Israel. We know that David wanted to build a temple, and, and Solomon, his son, was the one who actually built the temple. And until this time, until Solomon had built this temple, and even up until this time during Solomon's reign, sacrifices and worship had occurred in a variety of places because there was no central point of gathering yet. David had constructed some place for the ark to dwell in, yet it was not a temple. It was not something that the whole nation could gather at. And so until this time, until Solomon built this temple, there was sacrifices and worship could happen anywhere. In 1 Kings chapter 3, in verse 1, it says, And Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the house of David until he had made an end of building his own house. And the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about. Only the people sacrificed in high places because there was no house built until the name of the Lord until those days. So we see that they just sacrificed wherever, wherever the need uh, arose. They would build an altar and they would sacrifice because there was no temple in those days. But once the temple was built everything changed. Once Solomon completed the construction of the temple and he dedicates it and we have those passages that describe that amazing event, everything changed once the temple was there. In 1 Kings chapter 9 and verse 3, it says, And the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication. This is uh, God speaking to Solomon. That thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house which thou hast built to put my name there forever. And mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. You see, something has happened now that the temple has now been built and it's no longer okay for people to worship wherever they want. Now, the temple is the central point of worship. It was where worship would happen from this point on. It was where sacrifices were to be brought from this day forth. No longer were the people to gather in the high places. No longer did they have a choice or an option where they could worship God because God had decided to set his name over one spot. He had decided that his eyes would be on one place and there would be one place where his heart was excuse me for taking a while to build up to this but you got to deal with it sorry it's not convenient for you (laughs) after the death of Solomon though we find that Jeroboam and Rehoboam uh, I think some of the people in the in, in the Old Testament needed some help naming their kids you got Jeroboam and Rehoboam I was reading the other day and the firstborn was called Huz, and the secondborn Buzz. Come on now. And these are my kids, Huz and Buzz. But Jeroboam and Rehoboam, they begin to fight for control of the kingdom. They, they fight, and, and there's a split that takes place. And Jeroboam, he takes the ten northern tribes. And that now becomes known as Israel. When you read in Kings and Chronicles about Israel, that's the kingdom that Jeroboam formed in the ten northern tribes. And Rehoboam takes the two southern tribes, Benjamin and Judah, and that is what is called Judah. But Jeroboam is faced with a dilemma now. He's faced with a choice. 
Because he has separated from the nation or from the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. He has taken people to a different place. He has caused a division. But now he has a problem because God said, I'm going to put my heart one place. I'm going to put my eyes one place. I'm going to dwell in one place. And that place was the temple in Jerusalem, which was in Judah, which was his brother's land now. So he's faced with a dilemma. In 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 27, we find this dilemma laid out. And this is Jeroboam speaking almost to himself. If this people go up to do sacrifice... In the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel, and he made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin. For the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. It's an amazing thing. Out of all these kings, out of all the horrific things that they did, it all comes back to this passage that we just read. That it all hinges on 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 29 and 30. And where the king decides to make two images and he sets them up, two of them in his kingdom because he doesn't want his people to worship in the temple in Jerusalem. And it was this thing which became the sin. Not just a sin, which it says here, but we know that it became the sin that is referred to in regards to every king and to the capture of Israel by the Assyrians, that this right here is the sin that caused the downfall of Israel. It's amazing when you think about it. It seems like, yes, we know that's probably not a good choice. Yes, that's probably not the wisest thing to do. But how could it be the sin that causes it all? You see, the people were now separated from where they knew they were supposed to be. They had two choices. They could go to Bethel in the south or Dan, which was the farthest away from Jerusalem that you could get in that nation. And I want to say that sometimes in our own lives that we are just like the king Jeroboam. Sometimes we take control of situations. Sometimes we take control of our life. I don't know about you, but I've done that many times in my own life. And sometimes, just like Jeroboam, because we know control is an issue, because we know what will happen if we listen to the voice of God, that knowingly we leave what God has commanded us to do in our lives. Knowingly, it's not a choice that Jeroboam made in ignorance. It's not something that he thought, well, I'll just do this, not knowing any different. No, Jeroboam knew exactly what he was doing when he made two images and told the people to worship. And there are times in our life, it's a warning to you and I that this sin of Jeroboam was the start of a long course in the nation of Israel, a long history that led into their captivity. And we become so afraid of the control we may lose, of what God is asking and so we begin to walk away fully aware of what we're doing 
(laughs) You see, sin has a way, and our own flesh has a way, because sometimes it doesn't start out just as sin. In fact, James says that it starts out with our own desires, and sometimes our own desires begin to take control, and all of a sudden, because of our desires, because of sin, because of thoughts, all of a sudden, the God that brought us out of Egypt, the God that made a way when there was no way, the God who had brought us that this far into a promised land, all of a sudden the God that we said we loved and we would serve until the end of time, all of a sudden he becomes an inconvenient God because of what he's asked us to do. I wonder if there's times in our life when we have walked away from the will and purpose of God knowingly because we knew what it would involve. We knew what it would cost. We knew that there would be danger, that there would be hardship, that we might lose control over certain things in our life. But I'm here to challenge you today that you cannot give up on the will. You cannot give up on the purpose of God. You cannot allow convenience to rule your spiritual life even when God becomes inconvenient towards you. But sometimes we're like the people because the people didn't have a choice. The people had to do what the king said. While the two brothers battled it out and drew new lines, the people had little control or little say over what was happening. And you and I know that life has a way of changing circumstances on us in the blink of an eye. What once was normal in the blink of an eye can all of a sudden be disrupted in ways that we never imagined. And life doesn't really consult us about when tragedy should hit or when turmoil should hit or when change should hit in our life and there's times we find ourselves in situations that are completely our fault but other times we find ourselves in situations which are out of our control which are beyond our control that something else has been battling on and we are the collateral that happened because of something else There are times we find ourselves in these situations and it becomes all of a sudden through no fault of our own that the will of God still becomes inconvenient to follow in. (laughs) God is calling for people out of convenience. He's calling for people to draw out of convenience (laughs) today. You see, the will and purpose of God, when God speaks to us, when he says, I want you to do something, it's something glorious, it's something wonderful. I know the moments that God has spoken to my life, and yes, there may be doubts, yes, there may be fears, and I wonder how in the world could this happen? How could, how could you do this, God? But then I, I follow after those things, I seek after those things, but then there's times that life throws things our way, and we don't know how the will of God can be accomplished. In fact, it becomes distinctly inconvenient to continue in the will of God. Lord, you don't know my health. Lord, you don't know this. You don't know what's happened in this. I've got kids now. My whole life has changed. I've changed jobs now. Lord, you don't know. Things beyond our control. Things that we could not help. But I'm here to challenge you today that even though he may be God and even though he may call you to inconvenient things, I've got to serve him. I've got to follow him. I've got to push past all of those things and continue to follow his will and purpose. 
There's people throughout this place and you know what it means to consecrate and dedicate something to God. You've been at those temple moments where the glory of God settled down and nobody could minister because the glory of God was so thick. You've had those moments in your life where God spoke and you responded to the call of God. That God told you where he was going to set his eyes. He told you where he was going to set his heart and it continued for a while. But then life happened. Then the weeds that Jesus talks about begins to choke out. The cares of life, stuff begins to happen. Decisions happen. Circumstances change. And the commitments and consecrations that we once made are now inconvenient. God, I made this decision, I made this consecration when I was here, but now I'm here. God, I told you I would do this because this was my situation and it fit perfectly, but now things have changed. Now I don't have that job. Now my family's different. Now things are changing. No, I've got to make sure that what I consecrated to God remains my consecration. I'm talking to people who have heard the voice of God that have felt his direction that know what his call is like. But times have changed. Let me remind you of Romans chapter 11 and verse 29. It says, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Let me just say, first of all, that it doesn't matter what you do in your life, how far you run from God, how far you run from the call of God. The call of God will chase you for your entire life. And it doesn't matter how much sin you do. It doesn't matter how far you go from God. God is still searching. God is still reaching because the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. That simply means God doesn't quit chasing you. He doesn't quit following after you. He doesn't quit reaching for your heart. He doesn't quit trying to pull something out of you. But that also means in my life, if God ever called me, then it's forever. Oh, Oh, that's, that's a tough one sometimes. Well, God called me to preach when I was 18 years old, but now look at my life. Well, God called me to do this. God called me to go here. God called me to do this, but that was 10 years ago. That was five years ago. That was 25 years ago. I don't know how God could ever do that. Let me remind you that the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. And if God ever called you to do something, that call is on your life right now as you sit here today. That if God ever called you to be a Sunday school teacher and he has and lifted that from you you're still a teacher if God ever called you to be an evangelist and you haven't done it that call is still on you no matter your circumstance no matter your situation no matter where you are today your circumstances may have changed but let me tell you that his will and promises and purpose are forever his word is forever settled in heaven and if God spoke it then that means it's settled if God called you then that means it's settled in his mind You see, the problem is, is it's not settled in mind. You see, another way you begin to look at this, Jeroboam did something. He was was smart enough to know that these people, they're not just going to turn away from God. He knew that. So he made the turning away. He couched it in religious imagery and holy imagery. You see, when we think of the golden calf, that's what he constructed was two golden calves. And immediately, most of us, our mind goes toward that time after the Israelites have left Egypt. And Moses goes up on the mountain, and they wonder where he is if he's gone. And so they construct a golden calf, which was a representation of an Egyptian god. 
And Moses comes down, sees him worshiping, throws the tablets down, and all that story happens. But these are not representations of those golden calves of Egypt. In fact, it would be more, more of a better way to say that they were more like the cherubim that, that were in the temple. They were less a cow and more an angel. I don't know how you get that mixed up. They, they were like the cherubim in the temple. The Jeroboam knew that I can't, I can't place before people that, that know God, that have worshipped him, that have consecrated their life to him. I know that I can't just set before them the, the image that is the ultimate image of Israel turning away from God, that golden calf. So he constructs cherubims. They, they weren't the same, but they were close enough to give comfort to the people. Close enough to give comfort to the people. They had a semblance of the holy about them. There was a place that was set up in Dan, which was far, as far from Jerusalem as you could get. And let me just say that most people don't find themselves in Dan immediately. Most people don't decide one day to be serving God in Jerusalem, and then they go as far away from God as possible to Dan to serve him. No, they don't usually do that. But you see, the king knew exactly what he was doing. He gave them something that looked like the temple. And then he also set up one of those images in Bethel as well. In Bethel. He set one up in Dan, which if you were anywhere around, you're thinking, man, Jerusalem and Dan, man, that's a big jump. Man, I don't know if I can do that. I think there's something wrong here. I think we need to correct this. But he set one up in Bethel, and I can almost be convinced by Bethel. You see, because if you don't realize it, Bethel, the name means the house of God. <laughs> the house of God. You see, I wonder how people can go from one place to another. I wonder how people can start in one spot, and before you know it, before you realize there's someone else, let me tell you that that progression usually doesn't happen immediately, but it's a progression of steps, and they start out maybe even in Bethel. The house of God. Where it seems right, it seems religious. Bethel was only 6 to 10 miles from Jerusalem. In fact, it may even have been possible because they set the image up on a high place, it says. It may have been possible that while you were sacrificing in Bethel at this image that Jeroboam had created, you could see the temple or the smoke of where God's heart and where his eyes were, where God dwelt while you were sacrificing. You were close enough to give you comfort. Close enough to feel like it's not too bad. Let me tell you, the enemy knows that he can't convince you to forsake Jerusalem and go all the way to Dan. He knows he can't just set up a golden calf and you're going to fall away. But the enemy knows that if he can convince you just to go to Bethel, if he can convince you just to take a few steps away from that consecration, from that calling, from what God has spoke to you in your life, if he can get you just to move a little bit away from it, then he can grab a hold of you. He may say, no, it's all right. You can still see where you used to be, but I'm calling calling for someone to go back to the temple. I'm calling for someone not to give up on the calling, on the consecration, on what God has called you to do in your life. But get back to the temple. Get back to what God has called you to do. 
You see, I don't want to be content in any place where I can still see truth. I don't want to be content in any place where I can still catch a hint of my consecration. No, I want to be right in the middle of what God is doing. I want to be right in the middle of his call. I want to be right in the middle of his purpose. So I'm going to do whatever I can. Even if he becomes the inconvenient God, I'm willing to forsake my convenience. I'm willing to forego the extra mileage I have to go to to make sure I stay in his will. Now Jerusalem, the place that God has commanded worship to take place, has become too inconvenient. It's now become inconvenient to fulfill what God had commanded. They would have to cross lines. They would have to go into enemy territory. It was an inconvenience to worship where they were supposed to worship, supposed to sacrifice. We read the story. Eventually, Israel was captured by the Assyrians. We read it. I'm getting ready to close, so I guess you can get ready to tinkle the ivories plastic. Eventually Israel was captured by the Assyrians. What a journey. What a journey. This nation has gone from Egypt where they were slaves for 400 years to Assyria. They'd gone from the exodus and slavery all the way back to captivity. What a journey. And as we look at this, it becomes astounding to think, after all God has done for you, after all the things that God has done in your life, I mean, we can pull out any of the farewell speeches of Moses, of Joshua, we can pull out random Psalms where it talks about it, and it just lists all the things that God has done where he's brought them out of, where he's brought them to, the enemies he's defeated, the times he's healed them, the times he's made a way, the times he's blessed them. In fact, if we begin to look at our own life, we become amazed at what God has done and where he has brought us from and where we are now. I can't thank God enough for what he has done in my life. When, As the old song says, when I look back over my life and I think things over, I can truly say that I am blessed. And I begin to wonder how in the world, how in the world could these people go from 400 years of slavery to now being captive again? But I think it's no mistake they were taken captive by the Assyrians. In fact, you know, I listen to podcasts. I found one that really helps me sleep at night. It's called Hardcore History. And the podcasts are like four to six hours long. That's a long podcast. See, it puts you to sleep. I can't go to sleep easy. We'll put on four hours of that. But actually, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I, it, was, it was on talking about this time in history. And I woke up, and they're talking about the Assyrians. I was like, oh, that's, even the podcasters speaking to me. No. It was talking about what a kingdom they were and how, how they rose up so quickly, 
how they were nobody, they were nothing. Then all of a sudden, in just a few short kings, they're taking over Babylon. They're destroying everybody. That There were coalitions that were formed. And, and in that time, there was uh, nations would form like armies of six to 10,000 people usually. And they, they would come with an army of 200,000 and just destroy everything. Just out of nowhere, the Assyrians came up. Scripture tells us how they arose. God. But see, it's no mistake that it was the Assyrians that captured Israel. Because if you simply just look up that word and what Assyrian means, it means steps. It means steps. How do you go from a call in your life to barely serving God? Is it a leap? It's probably steps. How do you go from promises that God spoke to you, however long ago it was, and now you find yourself so far? It doesn't, no, I'm not lost. I'm still, I'm still worshiping. I'm, I'm still uh, offering sacrifices. I'm still in the house of God, but I'm nowhere where I was. How does that happen? Steps. How do young people go from feeling and hearing the voice of God in such powerful ways and God speaking to them and, and, and doing miraculous things in their life and then all of a sudden they get to school and things begin to fade away and how does that happen? Steps. It's just steps. You see, we know that when it comes to sin and salvation that, that people usually don't just quit church. No, there's steps that they've taken and there's things that have happened. But it works the same in your calling. It works the same in your consecrations. It works the same way in what God has spoken to your life. That all of a sudden the enemy knows if he can just get you to start taking a few steps. And it starts out sounding kind of religious. It starts out sounding kind of however because he knows he can't get you all the way over here. But if he can just get you to take some steps... I know that God has called me to witness at work, but man, I want to be a good employee and, and, and I want to do a good job. And if, if you don't work, you don't eat. So, I mean, that's Bible, right? I mean, I did it as a young person. I did it too. I remember sitting in services and the few times that I would acknowledge God and acknowledge that he wanted to do something in my life. I was really big into sports, and I remember one particular time that God convicted me about how much effort and how much energy I gave towards sports, because I was, I was very vocal out on the soccer field. <laughs> and I got convicted, because I'll, I'll give a demonstration, this is not an example, this is not something to follow, but usually I would have a larger coat on, because it was Scotland, it was cold. And this was my typical church posture. Now, this was back in the days of overheads. How do you remember the overhead projectors? And someone would have to put those on there, right? That was my job. So I'm sitting in front of the church like this. Not in the back, in the very front. That starts to hurt my back now. I can't do that. And one time I allowed God speak, to speak to me and I felt convicted. Do you know what I did? Quit yelling on the soccer field so much. Now what God told me to do was give as much energy to him as I did to sports. So I toned down my sports energy to start matching my church energy. I told you it wasn't an example. But see, God... God puts things inside of our lives 
He does it in these miraculous moments. And then all of a sudden, we take a step. All of a sudden, a circumstance happens. Life begins to change. We find ourselves pulling away farther and farther from the temple. But while all of this was taking place, while all of this was happening, we find that there is, not in the king, but inside the people, inside the people of Israel, something that's stirring inside of them. There's an internal struggle going on inside the people of Israel. Because they know what God has spoken. They know what God has commanded. They know what God has told them to do. Because they had a moment, whether it was in an altar, whether it was in a a private time. But they knew that God had spoken to them. And they knew what he had said. They knew what he had called them to do. And now they're confronted by a choice. They don't have, they, 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 they don't have uh, any control over the situation at all, but they do have a choice. Well, I serve God even though it's inconvenient. Or will I go to the place that is more convenient? Do we follow this God who called us but has now suddenly become so inconvenient? Or do I just give a semblance, a token of worship, even though it's in the house of God? Second Chronicles chapter 11 and verse 13 is, more of the story it says in the priests and the levites that were in all israel resorted to him out of all their coasts for the levites left their suburbs and their possessions and came to judah and jerusalem for jeroboam and his sons had cast them off from executing the priest's office unto the lord and he ordained them priests for the high places and for the devils and for the calves which they had made which he had made And after them, out of all the tribes of Israel, such as set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel, they came to Jerusalem to sacrifice unto the Lord God of their fathers. You see, something was going on. There was a struggle. There was a moment. And and if you haven't felt that moment, I know I've felt that moment where I have a choice about taking a step. And and I know if I take this step, is it it necessarily all bad? No, but I know it's not towards the direction that God has called me, that God has spoken to me, that God is directing my life. And I'm confronted with this challenge, with this issue, because on the one side is convenience, which I love and which everything in my life pushes me towards. But then on on the other side is God and inconvenience. And we find this struggle happens in the lives of the priests of Israel and of some of the people of Israel. And we read where the Levites, they knew that what was happening wasn't right. And so it says they leave their suburbs. That means they leave their houses and they left their possessions. And the people that set their heart on God, they left everything they had to go where God had called them to go. You see, there's moments in my life where I am distinctly confronted by the fact that God is calling me to do something so inconvenient that I might have to even give up something in my life. We find the story of the rich young ruler we all know. And he said, what do I need to do to to be saved? And he said, follow all the law. And then he said, what do I need to do to be perfect? And all of a sudden, the God that he said he served, that he had followed from his youth, all of a sudden, he became inconvenient to him. And he said, I can't handle the inconvenience. God, I'm going to settle for convenience. 
And I believe that God is challenging people in this place, not just in this service, but in your life. And you feel that struggle. You feel that pull of convenience and an inconvenient God. And you know that to follow him may mean giving up land or possessions. You know that you may have to cross enemy lines. You know you may have to do things that you don't necessarily even want to do. But I'm here to ask you today, is the will of God the most important thing in your life? Are you willing to follow God no matter where it takes you, no matter where it pulls you, no matter what it calls you to do. (laughs) You see, I need to make this up in my own mind. I need to make this up in my mind, that being where God is, is more important than my convenience, no matter how inconvenient it may be. I want to be where God is more than anything else in my life. And I know that's easy to say in the moment. I know that's easy to say in the altar. But I'm talking to people who are in the middle of a decision. And you need to make up your mind that where God is, that's where I have to be. There is no choice. I don't care what king decrees it or what my situation may dictate. I've got to be exactly where God is. And God is looking for people to follow an inconvenient God, to leave the excuses, to leave the and trust that if he called you he's going to take care of you whatever you have to give up won't compare to the blessings that he has for you It's not enough to see the call in the distance anymore. Young people, it's not enough to see a call in the distance, but I want to be exactly where the call of God is. I want to be exactly where the will of God is. It's not enough to look back and see what used to be or what could have been. No, I can still grab a hold of that calling, of that whatever God's spoken to my life because he hasn't forgotten it even though you may have as we stand this morning. This morning, I want to return to the temple. I want to return to the temple. I want to return to the place that God last spoke to me. You see, because God only speaks in judgment pretty much from this point on, we don't find the God who speaks on a daily basis to Israel. No, they needed to get back to the place that God last spoke to them, to the place that God last called them. And I know it's not a physical location, but it tells us in 2 Chronicles, that place, that place is when my heart is set to seek the Lord God. I've got to turn all of my affections. I've got to turn all of my desire. I've got to turn all of my heart towards God. And that's the place where he can be found. I'm going to set my heart. I'm going to fix it on him today. You see, revival won't happen unless I'm willing to be made inconvenient. His call's never going to happen if it's just convenience I'm looking for. But God is calling me even out of a good place, Bethel. But he's pulling my heart back to where he last spoke to me. He's pulling my heart back to where his eyes, his heart, his name dwells. God is pulling on us today. Amen. I want us to pray this morning right now. Every eye closed. If you want to lift your hands, that's fine. I simply want us to pray this morning. Lord Jesus, we come before you. God, you are calling us back to a place. Lord, I pray right now there are words that you have spoke to people in this this place today. 
there are things that you've dropped in people's hearts. And Lord, I know that life, I know that circumstances, I know that changes happen. But Lord, I want you to remind us today that your gifts, that your callings are without repentance. Lord, that if you called us to do it once, Lord, that calling is still there. What you spoke is still there. And Lord, I pray that my heart would turn back towards you, God. I want to set my heart, I want to set my mind back towards you today, God. Lord, I'm willing to follow you even though it's inconvenient.